studios in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to The Other Kind Radio Talk Radio, episode 16 for July 1st, 2018. According to my uh, internet page here, today is day 182 out of the year. Fun fact for you there, kids. We here at Talk Radio like full transparency and... uh, between a bad mic cable and uh, my inability to click a button, this is take two, one of the rare, rare moments where we had to start the show over only because we didn't capture it the first time around. So welcome back. Even though this is the first time you're hearing it, welcome back. Because it kind of feels like you guys have come back. So I'm sticking with that. Today, we're going to go, we're going to do, we're going to goo, we're going to goo a little bit. But first, before we goo... Uh, we're gonna take. We're gonna have Todd's take on a new comic book. I'm gonna tell you about a cool, one of the coolest moments I've ever had uh, in a video game. Uh, I know that'll give some of the kind listeners a little bit of tired head, but I promise to keep it brief. Uh, we're gonna have a fantasy movie league update for week three of six. We have an interview with uh, last week's winner, uh, and then we're gonna dive. I mean, we're 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 going through, folks. We've made a commitment, and we're going through it. And we've received some good feedback from our listeners, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna make it all the way to one. But today we're covering 50 through 41 uh, of the AFI's top 100 10th anniversary best film list. Uh, my name's Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. The other host, I'm gonna try and find him here. I'm, I'm changing technology. We we used to try to tune him in via radio, but now I'm seeing after watching Jaws. I'm going to kind of uh, see if we can get Todd. Todd, are you out there? Hang on, Jeff. I'm burning copies of Hunt for Red October, a very <laughs> inferior submarine film to the Great Dust Boot. <laughs> when you said, hold on, I thought it was, I think we were going to say, like, hold on, I have to switch another. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't had the problem. No, like... no, no, hold on, because I'm burning a horrible film <gasps> and watching a great one. The, the Hunt of Red October, you don't like that? I, you know what? It's unfair to say I don't like it. Here's what I don't like. If if I want to take a nap, I usually like to go find a pillow and lay in my bed. I don't like to be in a movie theater seat. It's just me. Um, Sean Sean Connery in that, right? And Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Uh huh. And are you going to give me a reason to like it? And he goes, Sean Connery goes, oh yes. I, I'll tell you the one thing I love about the film, and I do love it. I still think it has one of the most genius ways of saying we are not going to subtitle a film as they they start off speaking Russian and the camera zooms in, you know, actually pushes in on it. I think it's Connery that they do this too. They push on on his lips as he speaks and then they pull out, he begins speaking English. It's a brilliant way Ugh. of simply blurring the gap and saying we we are hearing English versions of his words. Wasn't that, wasn't the book that that movie based on, wasn't it one of a well-known author and one of his first ones? Was that, what's his face? Oh my God. And he's the one that all the Jack Ryan, cause that's Jack Ryan in it. And they're about to relaunch it. Why can't I think of his name? Uh, who wrote 
Red. Are you asking Siri? Yeah, no, uh, you know, actually, it's funny you bring that up because uh, I do have the capability now of going, um, Alexa, who wrote Hunt for Red October? Tom the Clancy. The Hunt for Red October's authors are Tom Clancy, John Melius, Donald Stewart, Larry Ferguson, and Larry Ferguson. Alexa, stop. Good God. She's a plethora <laughs> well, of information. Uh, hey, hey, Alexis, by the way, you dumbass, you also named the screenwriters. They didn't write the book. Okay, she can't hear you. She can only hear me, and I'm not going to hurt her feelings with those words that <laughs> <laughs> you just, just, just threw out there. It's so hateful. <laughs> right now, kind listeners, what's happening in the studio is Jeff is, yes, he's checking, and we are recording. Okay, good. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I don't have the ability to cue the kids clapping and screaming, so I, I do sound effects myself. <laughs> because earlier it was... <laughs> Very much. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, so that, that now I forgot already. Who who wrote it? Tom Clancy. Tom Clancy. Oh, so he did. He also had the influence on the video games, uh, Ghost yeah, Recon, Splinter and, Cell, and things yeah. like that. Cool. I don't know why I asked that, but okay. So that was one of his books. And uh, did you? Re was it a read watch situation that you didn't like it, or you just didn't like it? No, I, did, I I'd never read one of his books. Um, you know, I've not really liked the films or the shows that have been based on his books. I, I am looking forward to John Krasinski. I think that's how you say his name. He's going to star as Jack Ryan on the new Amazon series. So I'm looking forward to that. Okay. But I haven't liked anything about Tom Clancy other than a few video games. Okay. Um, and then before we get into the, the run sheet here, uh, thoughts on World Cup? You know, I'm, I really am not a big fan. I want to be a big fan. Uh, I've played the FIFA game for years and years, which as a gamer yourself, you know, can foster a desire to know more about it. And I've just never done that whole, hey, pick a team, record all the games and watch them to develop the interest that then would lead to FIFA. So I've watched a few games. I've enjoyed it, but I, I don't really have anyone to pull for. This might be uh, something out of the plagiarism uh, notebook. Uh oh. Maybe next year we'll pick a team. I know there's other radio stations have done that and talent has done that, but maybe, maybe you and I will do that because for me, that's the only way that these people that were not fans of football or soccer mm -hmm. uh, became more informed. So maybe we'll try that. May I think that's a great idea. You know, who cares if somebody's done it before? Because one thing, I think sports touches pop culture. I really do. I know there's some people that don't. I think they, they yeah. think it has to be artistic medium. I don't agree. So let's do that next year. Oh, yeah. I also forgot to read on the run sheet. Um, I noticed that all, and maybe maybe this is, I don't know, we can get some feedback from the kind listener. Everybody's like, you know, welcome well, welcome to such and such podcast, a podcast where we blah, 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 blah. And I've been listening to a lot of them lately. And I'm like, ooh, we don't do that. That could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing. But I do like your description that I think you have on Twitter, which is uh, Jeff and Todd ping pong around pop culture. Or yeah, I, I kind of look at it that way because, you know, I, I'm going to use the word accused, but I get accused of being a film guy. But the truth is, I love all pop pop culture. So whenever we were putting together the description ping pong the idea that you're simply bouncing from place to place i think that's kind of apropos to what we do and is that an original thought or did you did you read that somewhere else there are no such thing as original thoughts jeff oh good god did you come up with <laughs> i don't i don't know i've heard the term ping pong before okay. but i don't know that i've heard anyone else say ping pong around pop culture well boom right there we no, own it everybody else you, we... you can stop it 
Whoa, whoa. Uh, okay. We're now a fighting podcast. <laughs> it's a, we got we to have a kinder, gentler podcast. Okay, but I really... What? <laughs> it, Todd's, take is, take, Todd's take is on, I'm going to kick all your asses. <laughs> Oh boy, it's wacky. Um, but yeah, I do like that. So I'll try and and use that as a, a descriptor during. But do, you, but, but do you think that's something I should do? Well, I mean, to be fair, Men of the Apes, uh, I act as the quote unquote host that starts every episode, sets the table for what we do. And I do think that, especially to new listeners, it's it's pretty good that right off the bat they can hear. They may have read on whatever their podcast app is, but to hear. Here's what we do. Here's right. where we're going. And I, you know, I love that you've added in what we're going to touch on. So I think adding that little descriptor is probably a good idea. Or we leave oh. them at, we leave them in the dark. And and then after an hour, they're like, what was that? <laughs> now that could be a fun episode <laughs> if we don't tell everyone what the theme of the episode is, but you have to listen to what we talk about from right. pop culture. And by the end, if you can guess the theme, we'll give you a mug. Oh, uh, uh, the other kind radio mug? Yeah. Oh, man, I can't wait to get those. That'll be God. awesome. That, that, you know, I'll, I'll get those made right with business cards. Fantastic. Oh, and real quick before we jump into it, uh, uh, Todd and I were talking a little bit before the show. We, we have started to receive some, some ratings and feedback and reviews. Keep those coming. Feel free to email us at any time. And I'll tell you, as a listener, right, I've been listening to shows for a long time, I would always think of writing in something, and right in the middle of the mid-first draft, I would go, they don't want to hear from me. I'm nobody. You know, they don't, they, don't, they don't care. And I would never send it in. And now I here I am being a complete hypocrite, <laughs> begging for you guys, uh, for the kind listeners, to send in letters. So please, if you do have some thoughts... Jot them down and, and shoot them to us. I promise uh, we'll, we'll be uh, uh, very kind and, and you know open to, to what you have to say because that, that's, that's kind of why we're doing this. So if you want to talk to Todd, it's Todd. If you want to talk to me, it's Jeff. If you just want to send us some information, it's info at theotherkindradio.com. And uh, we'd love to get your feedback. But anyway, we are starting to get some of that stuff is starting to trickle in. And super excited and thankful to all of our listeners that are uh, – are you know giving us the encouragement to keep on doing this because uh, Todd and I this is the highlight of my week for sure, without question. And and I'm going to be very specific uh, on the reviews. Look, you don't have to use iTunes, but that is the granddaddy of them all, and their algorithm really does feed out this. So if you want to leave a review, it really helps us to leave it there. You can rate us however you want. You can put whatever comment. Yeah. But it but it helps to surface into their algorithm that puts us up there so other people can find us on all your apps so if you don't mind going there hey we appreciate it if not interact with us through twitter we don't care we just want to make sure we reach as many people as we can very well said all right with that being done let's go ahead and get on with the show let's fire up that projector oh, i love that sound and let's get todd's take on todd what's your take on this week so you called it a new comic book series, but I want to be very fair. It actually launched in March of 2012, and I came to it rather late. I had read a comic book by the creator of this one and loved it, and that comic book was called Why the Last Man, which is now being adapted into a TV show. Uh, it's That one is a great one, and it's simply about the last man on the face of the earth when there are tons of women around. And it's it's a very unique oh, Lord. type comic book. I don't think that's that, a comic book. 
I'm sorry? I don't think that's a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was. And so the guy's name is uh, uh, Brian K. Vaughn, and that comic got him asked to join the writer's table of the TV show Lost, who he eventually became oh. a producer on it as well. He's a fantastic writer that sort of doesn't just stick with n normal convic convictions of the medium, I guess is a way to say it. Okay. But when we record Men of the Apes, we record that at Zeus Comics, who Richard, one of my co-hosts, owns Zeus Comics in Dallas. And it's impossible not to look around and say, see all the cool comics. And so I would ask him for one. And he and Sean, the other host of the show, both said, you've got to read Saga. Saga came out in 2012. And it's it's been called by a lot of people in the comic world, Star Wars meets Game of Thrones. It, it has a space opera fantasy element to it but it has this underlying deep structure that is it's just amazing and it, it, it's a pretty simple series that ideas Vaughn came up with uh, that I'm trying to find a, a good one there there it is it depicts a husband and wife from long warring extraterrestrial races fleeing authorities from both sides of galactic war as they struggle to care for their daughter who is born in the beginning of the series and who occasionally narrates the series as an unseen adult what it tackles it it, it touches on a lot of themes a rather diverse portrayal of ethnicity sexuality gender roles and its treatment of war are just some of the things that when you get into it you're like i've never seen or read anything like this and the reason you've never seen read anything like this is that Vaughn basically said I don't ever want this adapted into a TV show or a film so I'm going to put things in here that I just don't think people would buy as a TV show and it literally I mean it, it's I, I can't even go into the different things there's a talking cat there's a floating specter whose guts are hanging out from it it's the weirdest thing you've ever seen it's just like Star Wars well you know it, it <laughs> Jeff believe it or not the 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 girl, the specter with the, the guts hanging out makes me think of the droid. She's this kind of wisecracking, yeah. always there to, to help people and fix situations. But you see those influences. But man, it's so unique. I, I can't, I'm reading the graphic novels get caught up and I can't wait to read the next one. I just finished one this morning and I was like, oh my God, you know, I, I got to go to Zeus tomorrow and get another one. It's, it's an amazing book. If, you, if you're afraid of comics, don't be afraid of comics. Comics are just great writing with pictures. It really is. And this is beautifully written. It's also going to be incredibly graphically violent and sexual in places. So if that offends you, you know, steer clear. But it's great. It is fantastic. And it's available on iBooks uh, via really? iTunes. Yes, I looked that up. And you can get uh, number one, Saga number one, for $1.99. And look at it on your iPad if... Uh, if you're in Omaha, I don't, I, there are comic books here, uh, comic book shops. I need to go. I need to go oh, find one. I love going into those places because it is it is a place that, at least in my adolescence, when I wasn't, uh, you know, because I wasn't f football or or necessarily, right. you know, the cutout for for popularity, it was a nice place to go into, and you could you could always find people that had like interest, you know, kind of wandering around there. Cause there was generally you had a comic book and then in the back, there was a room where you could play Dungeons and Dragons or some other type of role-playing game. Well, what I find so funny about we continue with this idea that somehow comics are, you know, the people that think they're a lower class of art form, whatever, <laughs> how many of our films and TV show now are, are based on comics? Oh yeah. A ton. Yeah. And it's not just the superhero ones. You, you, you read around and it'll be, 
some film that's based I, road to perdition the the tom hanks film that came out quite a few years ago is based on a graphic novel wow and that's a great story about a hitman in the what 30s or 40s well and then like a real pivotal excuse me pivotal moment um in my youth was when dark knight came out and that as far as i remember that's where you know batman yeah became you know a completely different uh person i know that was uh, the guy that that uh, did all the artist artistry on that is a well known uh, Frank Miller. Yeah, Frank Miller. Thank you. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think there's always room for for comic books, and and uh, I will I will uh, I will spend some of my money and check that the that uh, first episode of Saga. You know what I'm going to do when I come to Omaha? I'm bringing you the first graphic novel. Oh, cool. Cool, that way cool, you can cool. read it. I want to, and I, I would love to, uh, uh, if I ever guest on your on your podcast, love to come down to Dallas and go to that comic book shop. Because anybody that that takes that uh, to the level where they're like, okay, I'm going to open up my own store, awesome. I mean, that's just a hero, you know. And you know, I, I was even joking with Richard last week. I was like, you know, I walk in here, I'm like, wow, this is the coolest job ever. And then when I realize what you have to go through with inventory, <laughs> you're the dumbest person I've ever met. At the same time. <laughs> Because the hell that you go through, but then you also realize the passion you have to to do it. So right. Anyway, that's my take on. All right, Todd's take on Saga, the graphic uh, novel by Brian Vaughn. Let's go ahead and shut down that projector. Yes. Okay. Um. So we're gonna move on to Jeff's judgment. Um. And. I know that all of our kind listeners aren't big gamers, but uh, I did get to witness something for the first time yesterday um, that I was giddy. I literally was giddy. Um, so I am uh, one of the players in the huge, hugely successful game called Fortnite. Uh, briefly, Fortnite is a is a genre of game called Battle Royale, which is basically um, you start out, and pick where you want to land on the island. You have no weapons. You have to loot and build your weapons up. And then, um, you know, it's last person standing, basically. Uh, so I didn't know, but Fortnite came out, and it was a fledgling just little game. It was it was doing everything it could because uh, PUBG was, you know, dominating the market. Well, the tables have turned. They are now uh, the game to play. Ninja, who is uh, one of the... I think he is the most watched person on Twitch. Todd, there's times you can go check out his channel. He'll have 250,000 people watching his stream. Dear God. The young man um, pulls in close to a half million dollars a month through uh, subscriptions and um, donations. The great thing about Twitch is it's free, so you can go and just you know watch anybody. But these guys and, and uh, these guys and gals are so talented that they, you know, there may be somebody that you want to subscribe to and the subscriptions range in price. I think the lowest is like five bucks and you can watch them. Now I know this is turning into a Twitch ad, so I'm going to, I'm going to steer us back on course. So anyway, Fortnite came out and started getting more market and now is really popular. One thing that I know that Todd's not aware of that I think would draw him to the game is there's this huge storyline that's going on inside the game now granted you you start the game and you go in and you play rounds and everything like that but the map has changed and there are events that have happened and it all started with a meteorite hitting the island that you land on and that changed the the uh 
topography of the of the map and you know gaming style and just introduce some new weapons and things like that so a while back there was uh an event where this rocket was built inside uh what they would call an evil lair so it was like this where this bad guy lived and this there was this rocket and then recently um if you while you're playing the game you of course go through different parts of the map and the and the map has houses and stuff on it and inside the houses there would be a tv and if you looked at the tv there was a countdown timer and you know a lot of speculation online and twitter and everything about what what was going to happen what was going to happen so yesterday i was in a match playing i had just just left the the uh the bus you it's a flying bus don't worry about that and all of a sudden i look and i see um a rocket taking off and you, you sit there and watch it and everything and then all this craziness happens and it results in the sky when you look up there's a huge crack in it and while all of that may not make sense to everybody and i don't want to go too much into what all of that means there are millions of people that play this game and so it was a worldwide event and it was the first time that i was in a game online and witness something like that happen uh, in real time. And it was so cool. In fact, there were people that were complaining on the forums for Fortnite because people were watching everybody, you know, it's almost like you're, you know, normally you're running around, you're getting weapons and you're doing stuff. All of a sudden you're, you're transfixed on the sky and people were complaining that other players were going around and killing everybody because everybody was staring up at the sky and, and some people weren't. Um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting thing, but, just on the scope of it, to be a part of a gaming community and and then get to witness one of those events, because usually work or whatever gets in the way, and I'm always watching that stuff online. But I was playing on my Switch, and the Switch has a button where you can take pictures. So I'm gonna get those pictures and I'll post them on the on the Twitter feed. But it, it was just really neat. I hope I haven't put all of you to sleep. <laughs> uh, Todd isn't that familiar with the game, so I, I know he doesn't really have um, you know, the experience of playing the game, but have you ever been a part of something like that, Todd? Have, have you, you know, anything close to? No, but that, I mean, that goes into kind of what we talked about a couple episodes ago when we talked about all the, the E3 stuff that when you start looking at some of these platforms coming together and creating this massive area where everybody can game together, I think you're going to get more events like that. And, and that makes me want to try this game even more. We talked about it in the pre-pro of me wanting to jump into it just not really knowing what i'm supposed to do so i have to say this afternoon i'm going to go jump in and i'm probably going to get my ass kicked quite a few times but hey you know, it's part of the world right hit me up uh i'll be on I'll, okay i'll take you through it I, and and thank you for bringing it back around because that's that's why first of all that's why you're one of the best damn co-hosts in the world because that that's the message that I missed in my my rambling and giddiness about the event is the event happened, but it happened at the same time for all the players that were playing. So whether you were on the Switch or you were on the Xbox or you were on the PlayStation or playing on PC, everybody saw the same thing at the same time. So we're talking about you know a, a video game that had something happen where everybody could could witness it at the same time. In fact. There were posts on Twitter yesterday where they had watching parties. So some of the games, people got together and knew that it was going to launch. So they built, because Fortnite's all about building, uh, you know, forts. 
and they built like this huge fort and then they just had all these people sitting there and watching it so it was you know it was uh it was a global event and i was glad to be a part of it and uh that's jeff's judgment <laughs> on geekdom and being a video gamer um and thank you for listening <laughs> stop it <laughs> that was, that was I'm, I'm telling you todd it was it was super cool um and the videos are out there on youtube and and everything so if you get some time uh of course you todd or or kind listener you know check it out it's kind of cool done and done done and done all right well um now we've got a update on the uh fantasy movie league um, this past week, we had a different winner. Um, it wasn't uh, Jeff with the Majestic. It was David uh, from the, uh, why can I never remember his podcast? Everlasting Minute podcast. He runs the theater known as the Fabulous Fox. And I was able to catch up with him and record kind of his thoughts. So I'm just going to go ahead and play that now. So here you go. Joining me on the phone right now, the current uh, or the weekly winner for the FML. I I was almost going to say uh, a current leader. That's how scared I am from the performance that you gave us last week. <laughs> Let's give a, uh, a warm welcome to uh, David Kincannon with the uh, Everlasting Minute podcast. Welcome, David. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So, obviously... You're one of the few that are, are participating in the Fantasy Movie League that, that aren't directly connected uh, via friend or, or begging a relative to to help do this thing. And I can't tell you how many people are like, yeah, n not really interested. So uh, first of all, thank you so much. And then just kind of a, just a random question. What, what brought you or gave you interest to even participate? Well, so I had... Todd had plugged uh, talk radio right. on uh, the everlasting minute when he was a guest a couple weeks ago. And so I was like, Oh, that's cool. You know, I, I, I have, there hasn't been a, a minute of the apes episode in forever. So I'm kind of missing Todd's voice. <laughs> so I figured I'd, I figured I'd give it a listen. Uh, I've really enjoyed, I think I've listened to four or five episodes at this point and I've really enjoyed it. And I had seen the fantasy movie league ads like before movies at right. like AMC theaters. That's where I saw it. Yeah. And so I had thought about doing it before and just, you know, I'd never really gotten the any kind of, you know, jump start to do it. And so when, you know, so when you guys were talking about doing it, I was like, oh, well, I might as well just jump in then. Well, I, I, we really do appreciate that because it, it gives us a little bit more uh, competitively. We only have a few people uh, uh, actually participating, but we, we do appreciate that. And uh, what a story. This is I was just saying before we started the recording. Uh, you are kind of the Cinderella story, right? We hear about in the Sweet 16 or the NCAA basketball <laughs> tournament. Uh, but honestly, I mean, okay, so just a quick review. Week one, you came in fifth place, right? You you, you got about 65 million uh, yeah. guests that week. And I, I tell you what, I half expected you just to like go like, ah, you know, I'm out. <laughs> so, so you followed up week one uh with week two and you came in fourth so i mean there's a little little bit of improvement there uh you pulled in about 117 million around 117 million that week and then this past week you just blew it all open with uh a first place finish and i believe you are just uh, less than a million dollars behind me so you are you are coming up quick and pulled in what I I kind of believe was kind of a harder week to judge as far as uh, movies uh, on the FML. You want to tell us a little bit about your picks? Well, so I picked the Friday and Saturday returns of Jurassic World 
Um, and I kind of, you know, that that blew a huge chunk of my budget. Uh, for people who don't know, you know, you have to, you have like, I think they give you a thousand dollars, and each movie is, you know, has a certain cost. So it's like fantasy right. baseball in that regard, or you know, kind of old school. Um, and I just, I felt like, you know, Sunday Returns, not necessarily, I, I didn't know if that was going to be worth the investment that it was going to cost. And then I just kind of filled out the rest of it with, you know, trying to, trying to spend, you know, all of my money. I didn't want to, there's, there's no bonus to leaving anything on the table. Right. So I kind of want to just fill everything out. And, and I took a couple, I took a couple of flyers, like the, uh, won't you be my neighbor? Uh huh. Um, I, you know, just as, as a, you know, it's kind of a, I, I love Mr. Rogers and so might as well. <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know that I've really codified a strategy yet. I'm still kind of, I'm still kind of guessing at this point. You, me, and I believe everybody else. I just filled out my picks because uh, they're due tomorrow, right? Um, and and I'm I'm just as lost, you know. I and I'm I'm one of the I'm one of the people that uh, that does the research and crunches the numbers and and overthinks it and fails every week. Uh, uh, Jeff with uh, the uh, the majestic the two weeks he won the the the, the common quote from him was I just uh, kind of guessed what I was going to do and just and just did it. In fact, the week that uh, last week he left a bunch of screens blank and still won. So, right. <laughs> I, I guess the the overall strategy is is just to kind of there is no strategy or we're still uh, laying that down. Um, enjoyable so far though, week to week. We're, oh yeah, okay, I, think, I think it's it's an interesting thing to do. It's an interesting exercise. Good, good, because we'll have to lavish you with all kinds of gifts and stuff to get you to come back uh, <laughs> next season, as well nah. as your, your podcast uh, uh, co co uh, co podcaster there to uh, beef up the the standings a little bit. Um, so, have you seen any of these movies that are out? Uh, I have not. I have been lax in getting to in getting to, out to the movies um, since Solo. I saw Solo the night it opened, and that was the last time I went to the movies. You are all. That's the other thing everybody has in common is nobody has seen any of these. Uh, as you know, Todd and I are caught up in the uh, doing, going through the AFI 100. Uh, so right. I haven't seen anything. So uh, I was <laughs> I thought maybe that might have some something to do with some of the strategy you've got going there. Yeah, I mean, I've been a, I've been a little busy uh, as well, trying to get you know homework done for for my other two podcasts, and that ends up taking up a bunch of time. And you know, I have a day job. And yeah, exactly. A family, and so it's 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 tough to get uh, to get everybody out. Now, I, I feel you a hundred percent. Well, I promised you I wouldn't eat up a lot of your time, so uh, I just wanted to make sure, and I'm going to let you do this, because as you've uh, heard on our podcast, I'll fumble up uh, some type of uh, title. Right now. So tell us again all of the different podcasts you're on, where people can find them. All right. I do uh, two podcasts. One is Everlasting Minute, which can be found at everlastingminute.com or on all of your podcatchers. Um, and that is a breakdown of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original 1971 film starring Gene Wilder. Uh, that is a movies by minute podcast. So we dedicate each episode to one minute of the film. Um, Todd was kind enough to come on nine episodes of that. It comes out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So you can look for that. And then we also do a podcast called Podvocacy, which is just a general pop culture podcast. We talk TV, movies, a little bit of wrestling. Um, and that's at uh, podvocacy.com, P-O-D-V-O-C-A-C-Y. Uh, those are both hosted by myself and my partner, Jason Kirk. And that comes out on Monday nights. Oh, fantastic. I, I need to go in and subscribe to the second one you were talking about. I need to do that because uh, I, I, I like listening to you guys. I'm enjoying the uh, Everlasting Minute. 
and uh, wish you continued success uh, with both of those. And, you know, uh, big round of applause for you there for uh, uh, winning the week. We hope to talk to you next week. And, uh, and thank you again so much. I'll leave you with the last word. I appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. All right. So there you go. Uh, there is our uh, winner of week three. And uh, I, I think he deserves a little bit left. So we'll play this for him. Yeah. Uh, what a throwback to that song. Uh, was that in a movie? Yes, I was just getting ready to ask you. Was what? that a Rocky movie? Ooh, I think it might have been used in a Rocky movie, but that's not the movie I'm thinking of. Oh, wait, wait. I'm thinking because it's uh, Karate Kid. Yes. Rocky ripoff. That's exactly it. Rocky ripoff. They didn't do Kung Fu in Rocky. What are you talking about? Uh, you know what? Mr. Miyagi is nothing more than Mick. You've got the Karate Kid, who basically is the outsider. It's the same story. Yeah, but they dressed up in costumes in that in Karate Kid, and they didn't do that in Rocky. Ha! Take you that, know, Todd. I, I'm actually I'm I'm going on a hunch here, and I'm trying to remember. Hang on, I'm I'm using the power of IMDb. I want to say that might have even been directed by the same person. It was John G. Avildsen directed both films, Rocky and the Karate Kid. Not the first Rocky. Oh, he did. He did do the first Rocky. I keep yep. forgetting that. He, that I thought uh, Sylvester Stallone directed it, but he just wrote so and started. I want. I'm going to ask you the plot of a film, and 15. you tell me which one it is. A outsider meets someone kind of off the beaten path, and in the end, learns the power of self belief and wins the girl. Which e. movie am I talking about? Oh wait, e. I'm talking about both of them. Et. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, no, that, that's actually what no happens right old before men. the bike goes flying off the no cliff. No country for old men. <laughs> <laughs> you know better than to get into a a, a competition of being an idiot because I'll win every time, yo. <laughs> <laughs> yo. <laughs> By the way, uh, I also know better than to get into a competition of this stupid fantasy movie league. I told you at the beginning of it, I would suck at it. it, it, it it's gotten to the point. Yeah. And, and this is my fault. It, it irritates me to no end. I start looking going, oh, God, I can't make all these fit on the screen. Oh, oh. and by the end of it, I start clicking movies. Speaking of which, uh, a little a little update on week four. Blah, um, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> wait, hold on. A little, I got... Blah, blah. <laughs> and leading the week so far is The Majestic run by Jeff. So I think, and he is handedly, kicking butt mm -hmm. um and did not pick uh incredibles 2 any of the jurassic films i saw that i was like kind of what he did with the whole uh crap why can't i think of that series that had benicio del toro the one that just came out yeah yeah it it's the sequel whatever the, God, why can't, uh, the first one Caro, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. the first one uh, it was okay yeah but he's kicking butt. He's got a $94.5 million in the can. And in second place is me with the Sand Seater and only pulling in 73. Uh, David with the Fabulous Fox is very close to me. And then you are in last. <laughs> I love how when, when it comes to competition and you're not doing well, you regress to like a, a four-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> without <laughs> without doubt. I told you when we did this, I was like, I will suck at it, Jeff. I may know a lot of film BS history knowledge. I cannot look and go, oh, that film's going to do great. Or and if I did this, I'd make money. It's not what I do. Well, we have to figure out whatever Jeff and the Majestic are doing because he Sorry. is he is uh, he is rocking it. I mean, the guy is doing yes, a good job. So, and all and all my BS there, I don't want to take away from the effort of others. You guys are, are <laughs> killing this. I suck. I suck so bad. Oh, uh, so that's uh, fantasy movie league. So we're where this will be. We're in week four of six. So we didn't do a real long one. Um, we'll see if we get some more people to sign up and maybe do another one down the road. I, I agree with you, Todd. It, it's hit or miss. Whatever Jeff's doing, he's doing right. And even even though David is in third place uh, overall, he is he. I'm sure he's going to pass me at some point. I'm I'm just getting lucky uh, with what I pick. So, um, so that's it. That is the Fantasy Movie League update. So good luck to everybody, and we will call and uh, interview the winner, which it looks like it's going to be interview number three with Jeff, which actually I appreciate because I messed up the last one. So i got to really pull this one off good. I'm going to have to get all brushed up on my interviewing skills and uh, give him the proper interview. Uh, if you want to check out uh, the league, you can go to fantasymovieleague.com. I also post some stuff on Twitter. Uh, if you want to check it out. All right. That brings us to uh, our main, main event, uh, which we're going through. And um, I'm excited. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cue up some theme music here because we are now breaking into the top 50 of the AFI 10th anniversary top films. And this, I've never done anything like this before, so I am pumped that we are counting down and getting closer to the uh, to the top 25, top 15, however you want to look at it. So with that being said, let's get things started. Um, the first movie of the day is number 50. Came out in 2001. We're looking at the Lord of the Rings, and I don't even know, is the Fellowship of the Ring, is that the first one? That is the first one. Okay. So in the pre-pro, Jeff, right away, as, as we looked at this, turned to me and said, and I'm going to steal your thunder, Jeff, but he said, I, this doesn't belong on this list. And my initial reaction was, I kind of agree with you. <gasps> Yay! Um, but oh. I, then, I, then I had to separate myself and say, okay, why do they make this list? What are they trying to say about film history? Why this belongs here? And you do kind of have to look at it as we are currently in a slate of filmmaking where they make more prestige fantasy type things. You, you have now Game of Thrones on television. Um, the ability to tell these large reaching, rather seriously toned fantasy stories would probably not be as prevalent without Game of Thrones. I mean, without, I'm sorry, Lord of the Rings. So it was it was influential, gotcha. Uh, it's very well done. I would argue that that's not the best of the three films. I don't think Return of the King, which won the Academy Award, was the best. I actually think The Two Towers, the middle film, is the most well-constructed and executed of the films. That often happens in a trilogy, you know, that that, that middle one kind of hits the tone perfectly. Um, but, you know, according to the, the database I have here, let me get into this. This is Peter Jackson's masterfully 
executed fantasy epic based on Tolkien's beloved, beloved novel. I can't read today. It's the beginning uh, chapters of Frodo's strange and mighty odyssey to crack Mount uh, the God Almighty. I can't talk to crack the ring and drop it into Mount Doom. Uh, you know, it's beautifully done. The one thing I love about it, Peter Jackson is one of those guys that really understands film techniques. So a lot of the special effects you see are very practical, even to the extent that, you know, there had to be the height disparity between the hobbits and the other people. And he would use what was called forced perspective, uh, which simply by placing somebody like uh, Gandalf towards the front of the lens and one of the hobbits further away, they would build sets so that they would they would look like whenever that camera is adjusted there, that they're sitting on the same bench inside of a, a cart. But the truth would be that that uh, Gandalf sitting, you know, a couple of feet closer to the lens and it gives the illusion that he's bigger. So there's a lot of beautifully executed film techniques in, in these films and you can't take away from them. It's just, I think that we're so conditioned to not think of fantasy as art. And I think that may be why we initially sit there and think, eh, this doesn't belong. I love the way you break that down because now I'm waning too. I'm like, oh, maybe it does belong. Um, first of all, yes, you do have to separate and you did that well in that description, personal and, and then, you know, the actual technical and beauty of it because it is shot wonderfully it is um i was in love with the books and for some reason i can't get through the movies i've tried i've tried i've been on long flights and and like okay i'm gonna do this and i either fall asleep or i just switch out and start playing video games um but i do have a question for you it it, and it's a two-part question so I'll get each part out here real quick. The first question is, what was Peter Jackson known for prior to this? Did he have anything that he staked his name on? And, and, and you know, if not, where did he come from? The second part of the question is, with the success of these movies and all that he has, he, I mean, it, it's all Peter Jackson. You hear of actors getting typecasted. Do directors, can they get swallowed in that too? Where, where, because these movies are so successful, um, but it's all the same type of movie. Is he going to be stuck to that genre? Well, let me start with that one first, because I actually worry about that for Peter Jackson. Um, and, and you know what? The, these kind of go hand in hand. So I'm going to try and answer both at the same time. He was kind of known for. I'm not going to say schlocky. They're kind of odd, offbeat horror films. Uh, I had heard of him a little bit before his breakout film. Uh, I'd heard of him as making these, like I said, odd horror films. Dead Alive is one of his. But the first film that I ever knew of him was Heavenly Creatures, which was, is at least to my eyes, Kate Winslet's launch into stardom. Uh, that was about two girls that basically become very deeply entrenched with one another, have a great fantasy life, and then undertake some very nefarious type things. But then he he did the Michael Jackson, Michael, excuse me, Michael J. Fox film, <laughs> The Frighteners. They had two, two very different people. Well, uh, two, entirely two different movies if it is Michael Jackson called The Frighteners. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Frighteners is the Michael J. Fox film where he sees ghosts, and it's played very comedically and it's you know i think it's a very somewhat maligned film that is just a lot of fun so then when the next thing i heard 
was that he was going to undertake the Lord of the Rings films. I remember being shocked. And that was in the nascent days of, of the internet, really getting those, that information out there. I was like, God from the Frighteners is going to do this. Um, you can't question how well he adapts the films. And I, I will take on any Lord of the Rings fan that tells me, yes, but he butchered this and this, an adaptation of a book into film is not the book you can't do that you cannot tell a literal translation of a massive book like that you just can't do it and what he does beautifully is he finds the truth and essence of the story the characters knows how to truncate the story when needed he knows how to create amalgams of a character to put something in he goes into opera and short stories and whatnot to find other characters to bring them in to illustrate something about a main character he he and his partners, who his wife is one of his partners and another woman who, who writes it with him, they did a beautiful job. And I'm, I'm now convincing myself that perhaps it does belong in this list. Oh. Um, now, going on to what happens to Peter Jackson. You know, I've started to hear that I, Amazon has greenlit a Lord of the Rings TV show. Oh, Lord. And they're kind of doing a thing that's becoming popular now, which is don't just readapt the books. Instead, tell stories that belong in the world outside of that main story. Oh. And the, the rumor is, is that Peter Jackson may be coming associated with it. What I fear for him is he is going to become a George Lucas in that what he has created has become so big he can't escape it. Um, George Lucas never wanted to just make Star Wars films. And in my opinion, he became so embittered by that, that at all he, that's all he had become that he kind of gave up even on those. Um, okay. Uh, you know, Jackson did the Hobbit films. Uh, Guillermo del Toro was so, supposed to direct them, had to pull out for, I forget what reasons, but Jackson stepped in and said, he, you know, he made a mistake by not stopping down the production to rewrite him himself. And those films are pretty sloppy. They, the Hobbit films are not these Lord of the Ring films. Right. One of the things that you said there that kind of uh, <clears throat> uh, got my brain uh, 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 active was, of course, I learned the very hard lesson about book to movie with Ready Player One because I yeah. love that book. Uh, I would like to see uh, Peter Jackson's Ready Player One. It won't happen. I'm not saying that it will, but I bet he would have done a better job. I, I'm nothing against Spielberg. I know you're all you guys are all happy together and everything, but. I think he, if he took the same approach as he did so well with those books, we might have gotten a little bit of a, a little more of what I wanted in Ready Player One. You know, that's an interesting thing about film that you don't have to deal with in other mediums. You know, think of it in music. How many people have written a great song? Take uh, the Beatles with a little help from my friends. Who? That then, the Beatles. Oh. Hmm. The Beat the Beatles. Do you know them? That must be a new group or something. Anyway, uh, then you've got Joe Cocker's take on with a little help from our friends, which in my opinion, and being a massive Beatles fan, Joe Cocker's take has much more passion than the original. And yeah. you don't see this in film where people are going to say, hey, here's my take on it. I'm going to cover this because, you know, it's it's entirely different. It, it could take me oh, days yeah. to weeks to record a song. It takes years to produce a movie. Um, I'll tell you I right think, now, when when uh, Sinead O'Connor came out with uh, nothing, nothing Compares, compares to you, you, and then I learned that Prince wrote it, and I actually have uh, in my collection the one that Prince did. Oh, my God. I mean, Sinead had a great voice, and, I mean, she mm -hmm. was very popular for a while there until she ripped up a picture of, yeah. Uh, don't do that, kids. Um, but 
Prince's song, just like you said, it it, it has whew, it has a, a little more uh, umph to it, and I think that partly is due to due to talent. But then again, it's it's uh, it's a different version, like you said. Yeah, and I, I think your your point is probably one of the, the the best observations in this whole idea of going through this list that I've heard you even offer, Jeff. I, that's not it's not to disparage any others, but I think that's exactly what this is. I'm learning is. What is this that this person does with this? Because Spielberg is fantastic, and anybody that you know that tries to knock him, you, you got to take aside biases that you want to say because he's Mr. Box Office, right? Yeah, but he is flawless in places, it, and and he wasn't with Ready Player One. It's not one of his best. Right, albums. right. Okay, well said. And and of course, we have nine more movies to go through, so we're, we'll move on in a second here. But um, I do want to say. Uh, after we recorded last uh, week, I mm-hmm. watched Jaws, okay. and man, it was great. And even even I was talking to Pop, and he he was like, "Yeah, you know, Jaws." I said, "I, you know what, Pop, go back and watch it because there is some beautiful stuff uh, mm-hmm. that's done, and it's kind of fun to go back and and review it because I'm sure when it came out in the '70s, it was you know maybe more regarded as just like oh a, a shark movie and terror and everything, but. Uh, now that I'm a little older and have a little more knowledge as far as theater uh, or movie shooting and whatnot, is uh, it, it really is well well done and well constructed. And I, I look forward to your trip coming up and, and watching that with you. I can't wait to whip your behind and telling you, look at this and what he does here. And you're going to be like, okay, that was fun for five minutes. Can you shut up now? <laughs> well, the credits haven't even ended yet. Um, <laughs> all right. So that's uh, number 50 coming in, coming to us in the year 2000, in the year 2000, in the year 2001. The Lord of the Rings. Uh, on to our number 49 uh, movie. Came out in 1916. I have not seen this. Intolerance. I This is one of the ones I've not seen yet. I have had... Oh, I'm not going to say the pleasure. I have been forced to study it in school. It is D.W. Griffith's Intolerance. D.W. Griffith is one of the, the first names in in film that really stands out as somebody that was... Uh, a visionary, a a master. So Griffith made the famous film called The Birth of a Nation, which was a film immediately before this in which he really was one of the first to kind of construct the idea of multi-layered stories, cross-cutting, etc. cetera. Uh, now, I, I can't mention that film without saying it's also kind of subtitled The Birth of the Klan. And it is considered to be horrific in its portrayal of African-Americans, so much so that we had the, a, another film call out, come out a few years back called The Birth of a Nation, which told the plight of a slave uh, rebellion. And I think what you have to do with this list, again, AFI is not trying to look at anybody and say what they talked about socially was correct. What they're trying to talk about is its place in film. Right. And with Intolerance, this is considered his monumental exploration of intolerance told through four different but parallel stories from ancient Babylon to the times of Christ and Judea to Paris in 1572 to social reforms in contemporary America. Uh, it's considered a milestone in filmmaking largely because each of those four intercut stories is tinted in a different color. Oh. And what he was trying to do, you know, for all of his, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it racial stupidity, for all of his racial stupidity, the man had this idea about what film could be and you cannot have a list of the monumental pieces of american filmmaking without putting them in there you just can't do it um 
you don't have epic storytelling without D.W. Griffith. Yeah, and for, and for a film that came out in 1916, I mean that's that in itself. Uh, you know, it, it, I guess what I'm what I'm trying to communicate is for it to be have come out so long ago and still be a major a major portion and and force of what is film history is is pretty impressive as well. Right, completely. All right, that's 1916's uh, Intolerance coming in at 49. Uh, the next movie, moving up the list, 1954's Rear Window, coming in 48th. This is a, I believe this is a Hitchcock uh, film. That is a Hitchcock film. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> um, I've actually, actually seen actually, it. This is probably my personal favorite Hitchcock film that I can watch over and over. Um, I'm trying to pull up the notes here. So basically, Jimmy Stewart is a photographer with a broken leg. He's forced to be in a wheelchair in his New York City apartment. And during that time, he amuses himself by spying on his neighbors and soon becomes obsessed what he, when he thinks he's witnessed a murder. Grace Kelly plays his fashion model girlfriend and helps him as in his amateur detective work. It is, it's an ode to voyeuristic tendencies that we, I think we all have. And I think that oh, yeah. film is entirely built on a voyeuristic attitude, whether you want to admit well, yeah. or not, you're watching someone else's life. Exactly. So it's a play, kind of a play on play or a double it play. Is. Yeah. And, and what's beautiful about it is that it really is, it's, it's where Hitchcock becomes a, a masterclass in and of himself in film construction, because I'm pretty sure that when I was in school, they even used this film to show us how a character watches and what they watch makes us bring data to how we we perceive their reaction. Because then if you put a different reaction in, it has a different outtake. It's just, it's a very simple story that builds to this massive climax at the end. You've been watching him watch people. And at the end, you would think that that would have no tension. It is just so masterfully executed that it is like the, the stairs of a staircase that go up to the point by the end of it you don't even know if there's another stair there but you take the step and oh wow you go for it how beautifully uh said there um i i, I did enjoy this movie uh if i gave you uh three guesses uh, i'm pretty sure you would know the reason why i like this movie it's because it tells a story um but a question for you real quick a follow-up on this jimmy stewart also known for um what's the the christmas one it's a wonderful life. wonderful life a wonderful life and my overall impression of his career and what and what i've seen is he generally plays a um uh, a, a, i guess the good guy and i guess in this film he is kind of the good guy but I was this a different role for him to play somebody that was being voyeuristic and 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 because that was kind of taboo back in the day, right? That's kind of the draw of the movie, is you know he's watching all these people, which of course is a little bit, or I guess would see, be seen now as an invasion of privacy. So was this like? Would you consider this a different role for him? I think that it. I think that this role contained elements the so that audiences at that time, you know, in 1954, you don't openly talk about the sexuality happening in another place and you're looking at it or the idea that we're somehow stealing a gaze at something we shouldn't it, hitchcock loved having the every every man and what i mean is ah. simply that the heroes of his films would be people that are just stuck into a, a situation right. that 
any one of us, if we found ourselves in, we'd be going, oh, crap. And that's also, you know, jumping ahead to Psycho. That's one of the reasons Psycho works so beautifully as right. well, because you came to expect that's what you thought you were going to get. And when you get the shower scene, it was shocking to people. Right. So, you know, the studio system loved putting people like um, Stewart into the same roles because okay. they knew he could do it. So it does play on who he is. And I think that he and Hitchcock choiced it just enough that okay. it made audiences uncomfortable. All right. Well, yeah, that's 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 interesting, and and uh, it's been a while since I've seen it. Me revisit, but uh, I've already made the commitment. I am going to see the top twenty-five of anyone that I've missed. So if I have time, I'll try and uh, get this one in. That's nineteen fifty-four's Rear Window coming in at forty-eight, and we'll move up the line here. Nineteen fifty-one in the forty-seventh position. Uh, a movie that I'm just going to go ahead and say, I know Todd's kind of the expert, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, break out some of my knowledge. This uh, movie in 1951 not only featured a well-known actor, but also was the first movie to have a major, major product placement in it. It's uh, 1951 Streetcar Named Desire. So I will definitely come back and let you tell us that bit of information. I find that that's cool. Uh, this is 51's Ilya Kazan adaptation of Tennessee Will Williams' stage play a streetcar named desire uh it had marlon brando recreating the role that made him a star on broadway in as stanley kowalski the blue-collared brute married to the sister of a neurotic fragile aging southern belle named blanche who has always depended on the kindness of strangers now this is a fantastic film and right away i'm going to say i cannot help when we get to this thinking of the genius simpsons take on streetcar named desire because they turn it into a broadway musical and when blanche says i've always depended on the kindness of strangers it's a very sad melancholy almost tragic mm -hmm. statement they turn it into well we have always depended on the kindness <laughs> of strangers and it, it, that forever has tainted this film but Eli kazan he's another of those that owns a place that is a bit tainted in hollywood because of uh, that he kind of, oh, how do you say this without being ugly? He, the blacklisting that happened during the McCarthy, McCarthy area, right. era, he, he was knee deep in it and he was not so good to a number of people. Uh. But Eli Kazan is, con is considered to be one of the great filmmakers because he really, God, he understood actors and performances. And you look at Brando in this, and this, this for any reason, this is transcendent in the history of cinema because you look at what Brando brought. He was a stage actor and he comes to this and he brings a gritty realism. You didn't have the chewing of the scenery. He was just the person in the environment. You also took Vivian Lee, best known as Scarlett O'Hara and put her in this role of a mentally unstable person yeah. who's bringing chaos into an already chaotic world. Right. And it's a fantastic film there is nothing that you can poke a hole at in this film as far as its construction, its place, other than what I said about Kazan's kind of dark history. What is the what is the scene that everybody knows? Well, there's a uh, scene that once again I go into The Simpsons because you've got Brando screaming from the street. What, he, screaming, what does he scream? Stella! And there's your product placement, folks. Oh my God, really? <laughs> I was so excited for you to say it was the first one that had Coca-Cola. Really? You're, you're going to mention your favorite beer as a product placement? I, I'm going I'm to cuss for the first time. No, on this no, show. don't. You're, you're, you're a dipshit. 
<laughs> oh, the, the sound of the hope in your voice. Like, oh, he really is bringing something to the table. And then nothing. Yeah. I've, I've, I've tainted your, your, your opinion here's the, of me. Here's the shitty thing, and I'm sorry you're making me cuss a lot. Here's the really bad thing. That's also another great Simpsons moment because they take the Stella, and it's Stella, I'm in hella because I'm your fella, Stella. And it, now you've ruined it because now I'm, I'm ever going to see when I see a Stella sitting on a bar somewhere is I'm going to start singing that song. <laughs> oh, that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> you enjoy that, don't you? I, well, I, I, first of all, great summary. And it, the thing is, is I set that up and uh, you went along with it. And I appreciate that. So in um, other words, I was a stupid dope. No, 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 no. <laughs> you weren't. You were trusting that I actually had something to, to bring. Um, I, hey, kids, this is be this <laughs> a lesson for you. When you have a friend like Jeff, don't trust him. <laughs> I know. It's, it, I've ruined our friendship. Oh, it'll never be the same. Um, okay, so one thing I noticed about this film is it, it definitely is shot in a manner that, that lends itself to a Broadway play. Um, yeah. We, uh, other than great acting and, and I guess what I'm also searching for is why 47 and why did it make this list? I'm not thinking, I can't think of any huge technological uh, elements that were, were a part of it. Um, the subject matter was kind of, I mean, I don't know if it was anything that was new or brash or bold. Why do you think it's on the list? Well, I, I think I, you know, things I already alluded to that you, you had Marlon Brando bringing a, a type of acting okay. to film that really had not been there before. You'd had, you know, you have your James Deans of the world coming along at the same time uh, a few years later. And so you start looking and and funny thing is you have James Dean coming along in another Ely Kazan film, East of Eden. Right. Um, you, you have these kind of things where this was, was a door opening to a bit of more gritty, gritty realism. And when you start thinking this came out in 54, when is the next dose of gritty realism? The seventies. So the children who saw this film uh. then brought about the seventies era. And so you start looking, is there a correlation? I, I think when you start looking at the history of Kazan, this is a guy that made, like I said, East of Eden okay. on the waterfront. He, he, there are any list of uh, films that he did that are just essential. If you want to understand how to direct actors. Okay. And yeah, it is, it is shot a bit like a stage play, but it, it never suffers from a staginess. And right. what I mean by that is that it doesn't just become, it's not stagnant. Yeah. It doesn't just become that the camera sits there and the actors right. walk from A to B. The camera understands its place and it lets the actors own the scene. And it's, I haven't watched this probably in a good 15 years or so, but it is, it's a film that will stay with you. It's, it's beautifully done uh, drama. The, the interesting thing is Tennessee Williams who wrote it, a lot of his things would have a person with a mental issue because his, I think his older sister mm. had mental issues. And so he was constantly exploring that. Right. I think you said 1954. It actually, I want to make sure it's 1951 when it came out. I I'm sorry. I was referring to that. You had 54. He had on the waterfront. Oh, okay. Okay. Then, and then he had East of Eden at 55. So well, then I need to clean out my ears and listen better. No, it's okay. I um, probably, I, I, I tend to, 
I know this. I tend to ramble when I start thinking <laughs> some things like this. So if I blurred them together, I'll, I'll work to clean it up. And I, and I appreciate you. I didn't mean to make you give your answer twice, but I, I have a better better understanding now. Um, I'm done, Jeff. I'm leaving. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, okay. All right. So that's 1951's in the 47th place, a streetcar named Desire. Uh, Stella. Uh, 1930. I'm in hell. <laughs> 1934 gives us our 46th place film. It happened one night. I have not seen this. Todd, take us through it. Okay. So It Happened One Night is a Frank Capra film. Um, it tells the story of a spoiled heiress running away from her family, and it's helped by a man who is actually a reporter in need of a story. It's, it is considered to be probably one of the greatest screwball romantic comedies that's ever existed. It is one of the few films that owns a distinction of winning the top five, which I talked about before with Silence of the Lambs. So that'd be film, director, actor, actress, and writer. It was the first to ever do that. Um, basically, you've got a film that if you go watch this film from 1934, you will immediately see the groundwork for every romantic comedy you've ever seen. Um, I'm not saying there aren't other people who've added shades and beats to the romantic comedy genre, but this is... Uh, it, it there are points at it that are so funny, so charming that I don't come back to me with the Jeff thing of that is because it's 1934 and they talked a little bit like this. <laughs> you never catch it, me, Kappa. <laughs> I swear to God, Jeff, if we ever make a film together, we're putting in you never catching me, Kappa. <laughs> it's the bee's goes, knees. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I mean that's really it. It's 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 very simple summation that it is that is great essential romantic comedy filmmaking i'll have to check it out again i haven't seen it but learning about it and kind of the the source if you will the source code of the room or the rom-com that'd, mm -hmm. be, that'd be worth seeing um so that's uh 1934's it happened one night coming in 46th place on 45 another movie <laughs> that i haven't seen uh came out in 1953 we're talking the movie shane Okay, this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna have people who oh boy here we go tell, tell me they hate me I don't like this movie. Um, Shane is 1953's George Stevens film that told told through the eyes of a young boy. <sighs> Trying to find a good summary of it, a weary gunfighter attempts to settle down with a homestead family, but a smoldering settle settler rancher conflicts forces him to act. I mean. It is a seminal Western. It is the story we've heard a thousand times. You think about Unforgiven, Jeff, and I've just yeah. kind of described a bit of what happens. You know, somebody's brought out of a past lifestyle yep. that they want to to leave behind. I I probably owe this film another viewing. Um, I remember seeing this as a kid. My dad telling me, you have to see this film. It's great. And I sat down. I thought, this is silly. And I, you know what? You keep saying films you're going to add to the list. I'm going to rewatch it. Okay. I, I think there are a lot of people out there that will love this film. It just, I, I watched it at the wrong time in my life. Plus, it's got the good song, Shane, I want to live forever. Is it your sole goal to <laughs> somehow bring up things that make me. <laughs> my daughter right now is so obsessed with that stupid song. Oh, and is so it? now every time she plays it, I'm going to hear, Shane. <laughs> I, I I I thought in my comic brain I'm like well should I say it and I and I did because I really don't have anything to offer about Shane. Um, 
I'm sorry. Yeah, I, sometimes movies just don't hit you the the right way. Uh, you know, we have that when we discuss movies with friends and family. Um, but I will ask you and, and kind of see what your your feeling is. So, forty fifth. I mean, it's it's up above Taxi Driver, Deer Hunter, Jaws. Is there? Do you? I mean, you may not agree with it, but why do you think it's at this spot? Because I think that you know, kind of like I even tied it to unforgiven you begin to look at these kind of Uh, things of what it meant how it influenced how it continued and i think the more we go up this list the more you're looking at films that somehow had repercussions and ripples okay you know it's it it truly is the throw a stone into a pond and watch the ripples and what occurs okay and the these films aren't the ripples they're the stones that's shane which came out in 1953 hitting the number 45 spot 44, um, I had a whole bit uh, because I thought I knew what was going on, but uh, uh, it's, not, it's not the movie I thought it was. Uh, coming in at 44th, 1940s, The Philadelphia Story. I thought it was the one with <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks in it, and I was going to have the uh, Bruce Springsteen the Spring song. <laughs> the song in it and i went to look and i did a google search and it's like no it's got jimmy stewart in it so todd tell me about the movie that i thought i knew about which but i didn't well this is where i'm going to go back to back films of saying i don't like this film either Ooh. um and i have rewatched it and it drives me insane i i don't like it i understand its place because once again we're looking at screwball romantic comedies you've got uh-huh. Cary grant Catherine Hepburn, James Stewart, directed by George Kukar. Those are all names in film history that are essential. I don't like it. It's the story of a rich woman's ex-husband, a tabloid-type reporter, who turn up just before her planned remarriage, and she begins to learn the truth about herself. It, it once again, to use my metaphor before, it is the stone that's thrown into a pond that causes the ripples. Okay. It's you have it, it you can watch it and again you you see how this also took romantic comedy and screwball comedy and laid the groundwork that other people would continue to emulate for years and still do to this day i just don't like it it's and what i don't like about it, it it's very particular for me it is such a fast delivery of goofy language mm. that i i have a hard time in some of those where you don't like the hey come on yeah what i don't like is when people talk in a way that no one talks <laughs> when they they talk so rapidly and it's over and it's like it, it, they're even modern films where people talk so rapidly no one's hearing each other and i think okay eventually in life we listen we, at least to combat it mm. and this one i can't ever get into the characters because it is so screwball and so zany it, ju- it doesn't speak to me and i'll probably in another 20 years try it again and i'll probably hate it again then so it, it has nothing to do with the other one the other um, Philadelphia story. I, let's see a story about a man contracting AIDS. No, <laughs> no, it has nothing to do with that. That's weird. So, I, but is that one just called Philadelphia Story, and this is the Philadelphia Story? No, the other one's just called Philadelphia. Oh, duh. There you go. <sighs> no, not duh. Just vote it. <laughs> You're listening to the Other Kind Radio. Uh, this is, uh, my name's Jeff and that's Todd. And we're going through the AFI's top 100 10th anniversary films of all time. And, uh, yeah, we've hit a real shallow spot for, uh, this guy. Cause I am, um, run it. I, I, I basically haven't seen a lot of these. So, um, 
We'll leave it there. That was 1940s, the Philadelphia story at 44 and 43rd place, Midnight Cowboy 1969. Todd, take it away. I'm so glad to say that the last three films we're going to touch on are films that I, I really like or respect. So oh, Midnight good. Cowboy, 1969, starring Dustin Hoffman and John Boyd, directed by John Schlesinger. A naive hustler travels from Texas to New York to seek personal fortune, but in process finds himself a new friend. That uh, that's IMDb's description. Let me let me try a different one here. Voigt is Joe Buck, a country boy who arrives in New York City to make his fortune as a hustler. As he struggles to maintain a living, he meets Hoffman's Ratso Rizzo, and the two friends work together to find a better life. This is a darkly haunting film. It took Dustin Hoffman, who had found recent success with The Graduate, and suddenly made everybody kind of go, "Oh wait." There's really a good actor here because he takes Razzo Rizzo from this little sniveling idiot he could have been and gives him odd tics and mannerisms that you will never forget if you watch this. Now, this is not a film for, for the easily squeamish simply because when, I, when it says that Voight comes to be a hustler, he's a prostitute. Oh, and it, it is the underbelly of New York City at that time. Now, one of the fun asides... And I'll have to tell my wife, I mentioned this early on when we were dating, you know, I was like, you have to watch all these films with me. She doesn't watch too many of these with me anymore, but she watched this. And what she loved about it was they're in New York city. They're approaching an intersection, massive people walking around and Dustin Hoffman steps in front of a cab that screeches. And I believe it even hey, honks the I'm walking here. Yes, he slaps the <laughs> hood of it and says, I'm walking here. So fast forward to 20 years later when my wife and I go to New York City and that ding-dong decides to step into traffic, <sighs> slap the hood of a, a cab and go, I'm walking here. And I was like, Shelly, you will get shot. <laughs> this isn't a movie. So, I mean, it, it it definitely has those moments that even you knew that I'm walking here. Yeah. Um, but, but, but yeah, if you, if you hadn't led it up to that point, I wouldn't have known. And, and quick, quick, true or false, mm -hmm. I heard that was improvised. I believe that was. I believe that moment is improvised, okay. and it's. It, it really is. Uh, you know, without trying to, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna actually do this. I'm gonna pull up Dustin Hoffman's bio. Okay. So I can look at something. I, what I want to see is how many films between The Graduate to Midnight Cowboy. And I, I think this is a film I have seen, but it's been a long time. This is the kind of movie that I, I could see my parents. Uh, see 69 maybe i saw it on a, a buddy of mine when i was in grade school his dad or stepdad had a uh, laser disc so i may have seen it on laser disc it may have been hbo um i don't i don't think uh, we've ever owned this in our video library so i'm trying to think where i may have seen it but uh, it sounds familiar and the the picture the the uh that i had with uh voight in his bright red shirt and that jacket that he's wearing um seems to you know remind me of or be familiar or something i possibly saw so um i, I but i don't I, I don't have any feelings about this movie so the, i pre appreciate you being knowledgeable on it did you find what you were looking for i did so you know to your point there too midnight cowboy is is John Voight, yeah, I I haven't watched it recent enough to really dissect this and be on point, but he does wear ill-fitted 
wrong timed clothing to appear as a cowboy he looks more like the typical drugstore cowboy he looks mm. assembled and a facsimile of what he wants to be um what i wanted to find out about hoffman was the graduate came out in 67 this film came out in 69 he did have a few shorts and tv appearances mm. between then and one film that's very little seen so this takes him from being the quiet unspoken hero of the graduate to a very out there performance and it was it was eye-opening for people they did not expect you know this is the 60s you're still close enough to the era where they expect you to follow up with the same kind of film and this lays the groundwork for an actor who's going to continue to take roles that would surprise us going forward it it's a great film it's not easy to watch it is not a happy film i'm gonna warn you you're not gonna go to this and go feel uplifted but if you like true gritty filmmaking that will surprise you it is well worth a watch and i, I mean besides what you've discussed so far again mainly you know because I, i'm trying to categorize these a little bit like you know peter jackson's was obviously the way that he he shot and put interpreted the movies from the book again, I'm going to ask this question continually as we, we, we go higher. Do you agree with this place? Do you know why maybe it is as high as it is? I, I think I do agree with it being in the top 50. Okay. Um, I think that you have to look at its place in the 60s when everyone's eyes are being opened. We've had the assassination of Kennedy. Okay. We are a wounded nation. We're a fractured nation. You're trying to figure out the counterculture, and suddenly you've got, you've got a guy dressed up as a cowboy. You've got a guy who is odd and obviously has a little bit of an illness that he's trying to hide. Uh, and it's almost like an allusion to everything we were going through, that people were attempting to be something other than themselves to explore. I, you know, I, I see that correlation. I think that you just have to look at the virtuous, virtuoso elements of his performance in this also that that elevate this film probably above another of other contenders uh, hoffman is just he's brilliant in this okay. film fantastic that's 1969's midnight cowboy coming into the 43rd spot we have two films left and we'll go to 1967 in the 42nd place that is bonnie and clyde so 1967 this is Arthur Penn's version of the Bonnie and Clyde story starring Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway, and a few other actors I'll name in a minute, but let's, let's talk about what it is. So this is Dunaway and Beatty starring in the real-life adventures of 1930s bank robbers Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow, a film that mixes romance, adventure, glamour, comedy, and violence in a way that had never been seen before, and that is not an exaggeration. This was a film that almost caused riots for a number of people because Ooh. it it depicted these outlaws in a way that was glamorous at one minute tragic in another horrific in, in places this film really opened the door for a number of actors i wanted to mention too you had gene hackman and gene wilder in early 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 performances wow now the end of the film is to this day considered to be one of the icebreakers for violence depicted in film now so, you go watch it today and you will think that is not violent that's, it's that's the, silly it's the shooting right right the shooting at the end um you you have a lot of cr cross-cutting very fast cross-cutting 
that implies it's almost i never thought about this but it's almost like the shower scene in psycho we never see the knife penetrate the body in psycho but the censors said you can't show this you can't have right. nudity there's no nudity in psycho it's the same here you do not see like today you would see a gun you know you would see a bullet explode ahead yeah back then it was the shocking because it would cut to warren Beatty and on his face it, it, his head would fly away and there'd be a splotch of blood on his head and they thought that was his head exploding uh. and it it was revolutionary it there is no understating how this changed the landscape of what you could do at this time you're you're about to head into the era of the 70s which i've mentioned at nauseum was one of the great eras of filmmaking you don't probably tackle a lot of the subjects that you're going to have later without this film at least saying here's some things we're going to start trying to do now did you mention who directs it arthur penn okay so what's the story with with that gentleman what what's the story i mean like I have to... was he was this like his breakout film was he pretty well known i mean well, you know he's uh, I, I, that's a good question as far as a breakout film let me let me see where this lands and what he did okay good because uh, i'm only asking because um um you know you, you use some words in there that uh you know are unique to this uh this film and its placement as far as you saying it was revolutionary um, so I'm just I just am intrigued, uh, and this is this is this is how our conversations will go when uh, when you come up to visit because you know right. I want to learn more. So I mean, it's, I mean, was this a, was this a sleeper? Was it a surprise hit, or was this cat is around and and doing this, and then really found the right script, and and that's what made it so uh, instrumental. So in no way am I surprised by what I see here. I, I think I mentioned this before that you had the Playhouse '90 series of the '50s, which were where a lot of great filmmakers came from they they cut their chops on directing either plays or written for tv dramas that were a little bit grittier and a little bit truer and and they would do them for tv so he started with playhouse 90. bonnie and clyde really he did the miracle worker and that would have been with ann bancroft where she won the uh, academy award that's based on um, anne frank uh helen keller oh helen keller that's right um, so he had that under his belt. He has a couple of other films here that are known, but Bonnie and Clyde definitely comes and makes a statement hmm. uh, that would then lead him. He went on to make Alice's Restaurant. He made Little Big Man with Dustin Hoffman. He wow. went on to make some other great films, but this definitely was a statement piece.